think it was when we went to Europe and had this kind of extreme experience where we left my wheelchair home and they not just carried me in a backpack during the day, but it was 24-7 for three weeks. What we are looking for is right where we are. Yo, so this week on Everyday Ordinary, I get to chat with my friends, Kevin and Katie Chandler. I get the privilege of every Monday getting Kevin going out of bed and ready for the day. And so I, I pray that it's super encouraging, that it spurs you on. It opens the doors to what might happen when you look around you, when I look around where I'm at and see what's waiting for me. Okay, my friends, we are here with Kevin and Katie Chandler, and uh, we are doing our second podcast with Everyday Ordinary. It is simply about the people we meet along the way and what it would look like if we had availability with our schedules, our margins. We look at Jesus and he was incredibly present and proximate to people, whether he was reclining with the tax collector and sinner in Mark chapter two, or a woman on the side of the road, or lepers that had been ostracized from community. There was always this presence about him. In fact, what we talk about often here at NeighborLink, uh, but throughout the church of Fort Wayne, and hopefully uh, who knows where else down the road, is that people would call out to Jesus. They would come to him. They'd be brought to him. He'd pass by them. He'd go out of his way for them. He'd sit or recline with them, like Mark chapter 2, and, and then sometimes he'd be next to them, which is really our relationship. When I think about the people that Mandy and I and our kids are next to, the neighbors uh, of our area of the city, you guys happen to be just a street over from us, and we've told the kids to try to find you know an easier path through neighbor's yards. Maybe they should ask for permission. Maybe they shouldn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we it's fine. ask for forgiveness later. Yeah. But we realized that, that once we got home, that we were literally down the street from you. And so this distant relationship, I would say, like we had these beautiful moments. I was pastoring a church. Your sister was there. I got really close. We got really close with her. We started getting close to each other. Then I moved. You moved in. I moved out. And, and then coming home, the beautiful gift of being in a new part of town that we've never been in and realizing that you guys were around the corner. And so that just started a regular routine that built a stronger relationship, whether it would be sitting in the bedroom chatting with you in the mornings or at the, the dinner or you know coffee table afterwards. And so I just wanted people to know you guys and hear some of your story and you guys know with me that we don't know necessarily where we're going, but we're going to take a trip. And Kev, you're, you're fairly built that way with your past and ministry experience. You've learned to live that way. And, and in a lot of ways, your guys' season right now is a lot of, Lord, whatever you want, right? I mean, there has been a really beautiful season as we carry Kevin has been growing and discerning where and how you guys have been meant to serve best. You guys have been agile and available to his leadership. And so that's the that's where we are today in some regard, without much of the substance. There's a story from back in the day for you two individually, and then you guys as one, as this beautiful married couple now. And so if you just give the listeners, the folks that are watching a little bit of backdrop, 
as people from the outside of our office yell at us and buses stop on the side of the road and people use their backup beeping noises. We may get all kinds of noises. This is the real deal, people. We don't, <laughs> we don't cut that stuff out. So, um, you know, Kev, just a little bit of your, your backdrop. I know the story is high, long, wide, and deep, but I think around six years old, some beautiful things happened for you that set the trajectory of your life. Yeah. When I was six years old, I had grown up. I wasn't a grown up, but I had grown up so far in the church and my parents were involved and, and my siblings and I, but around six years old, I was having trouble sleeping because I couldn't wrap my head around eternity. And that was a problem for me. I tried to share with Eden at six years old how to understand the Trinity. And I literally watched her brain fall out of her ear. <laughs> I was driving down the road and Mandy's like, are you serious? You just did that to her? And I looked in the rearview mirror and literally her brain popped out. So I didn't, I wasn't as good as God at all in that conversation. So I'm grateful that in the middle of the night, he spoke to you in a way that your brain stayed inside. Right. Yeah. It blew my mind, but not, you know, <laughs> not the same kind of, kind of way because my, my dad, rather than trying to explain eternity to me, decided to introduce me to the person that I could spend eternity with. Mm. And so that's um, a big difference. It is. It right. is. And I'm I'm a people person. I love being with people and I love relationship. And even at that age, he knew that that's what I needed more than an explanation. He, I needed to know who I could be with in eternity. Because things can be as strange or, or confusing as, as they can get. But if you have someone beside you that's solid, then that makes all the difference. And there's no one more solid than Jesus. So, mm -hmm. so that's where my, my walk with him started. And I grew up in, in a lot of ups and downs and wonderful things and hard things with my disability. And, and Jesus was the constant. He was that solid companion through it all and still is. And I think that that really shaped my understanding of relationship. And if I was a people person at six, it was more so going forward because it was not just me and somebody else, it was me and Jesus and somebody else. And that made it all the more beautiful. And so uh, in college, I, I moved out, lived in the dorms with friends and they offered to take care of me. And then from there, I moved further out and eventually moved here to Fort Wayne from North Carolina, which is pretty far. And it's a lot colder. It's a lot colder. Yes. And, and a I lot feel like flatter. A, a lot flatter. Yeah. Um, we have corn. Yes. We have hush puppies in North Carolina, but but not corn. We have lots of puppies. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know what the the contrast would or be. Cornbread. Corn, you know. cornbread. Cornbread. You guys have the corn, we make the bread. But the corn here is really good. Have you ever just realized how good it is? Mm. To be known for corn is a big deal. It can be a great thing. It can yeah. be. Though when I was an intern in California, because I was from the Midwest, which the Midwest includes Nebraska and Iowa and Kansas, and everything outside of California is the Midwest. <laughs> and so they would introduce me from a different different state every time. The Nebraska Cornhuskers, that must be where Eric's from, you know, oh. but they never would say Indiana because nobody knows what Indiana is. It's right. hidden. Yeah. It's kind of like 
enveloped by yeah. Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, and I wouldn't say Kentucky. I think we kind of right. Yeah, yeah, that's where we draw the line. We draw the line. Literally, we love there you though. You're drawn. down there, <laughs> right? Yeah, we do. You drive through there to go to Nashville all the time, right? Yeah, and it's great. It's great. It's great. Okay, <laughs> they may want. <laughs> So you're you're uh, up in Fort Wayne. So I'm up in Fort Wayne, and and right before I moved to Fort Wayne, I was part of a a group of people in North Carolina that did a potluck every week. But we would go to different people's houses each week, and that did not mean that they were going to be wheelchair accessible every mm-hmm. time. My friend Hayden and another guy Tom and uh, Philip, these guys would pick me up out of my chair and carry me up three flights of stairs to get to somebody's apartment for this potluck. And, and so I turned to Tom one day and said, hey, I'm I'm thinking I would like to embrace that and spend a weekend without my wheelchair. And he said, well, we're not going to sit around playing video games. So what do you want to do? And I didn't have really any great idea at the time. And, and so he said, well, I've always wanted to explore the sewers in our hometown. What if I we- I still don't understand. Well, we- I still, I mean, I, I understand because I've met Tom. Right. Yeah. Um, and by the now. way, the videos and the pictures of Tom don't do him ju- justice. No. Meeting Agreed. him, he is a large human. He is. He is. He's a tall, broad, strapping. Yeah. Musician. Larger than life. Very much. The... So I just, Tom, I'm just, I need to let you know that that's my thoughts about you. <laughs> yeah. That I've never <laughs> verbalized. He's a giant. Until in now. Every way. He is. Yeah. He's a good one, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and, and. Sewer. You're going. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, and we had grown up on like Ninja Turtles and Batman and different stuff like that. So it just, sewers are awesome in those situations. Favorite, favorite superhero, real quick. Batman. Always been Batman. Yeah. But why is it Batman, though? There, that's a whole nother podcast. <laughs> let's, let's We're gonna put, have the Batman podcast down the road. Let's put a pin Call in Josh that in and here. come back. I just need everybody to know, though, I believe that John Barris is Bruce Wayne. He is. So I just want everybody to know it all comes, it but all, that doesn't mean he's Batman because you know, Bruce Wayne's not Batman, of course. Continue on. We need to keep his identity. Yes, we, yeah, yes, yeah. So that will also be part of the, the podcast. <laughs> You're in the sewers. The, the Bars man. <laughs> <laughs> so you're in the so, sewers. So we go to the sewers. We make this really just ramshackle backpack that, that works for a few hours. And we, we see the clock ticking that it's going to fall apart. But it'll work for what we're doing. And we go into the sewers. And when we come out, we say, well, what's next? This was a great experience. We survived somehow. And and what's what comes next? And about a year later, I I went back to Tom and said, "Well, what if we do that again, but above ground for three weeks in Europe?" And so we we left my wheelchair at home. We made a better backpack and got some guys together, and we went to Europe. We went to France, England, Ireland, and passed through Wales for a night as well. And uh, it was just this really amazing experience and um i i think that's a good spot to pause oh that's a pause that's a pause we don't cut this podcast by the way so that moment right there is going to be in this perfect yeah i appreciate that was really delicate and katie over to you (laughs) (laughs) 
Where do you want yeah, to no, start? start? Start your no. Start at six. Start it, yeah. When All you were right. a young so, yeah, girl, it was, it was kind of cool. The six years old talking about to Eden and to Kevin, but yeah, I was six years old and I had I'm firstborn. I wish I could be perfect and not have any problems, but I had this like rage and anger inside of me, and I hated it, but I couldn't stop it. And my mom one day, she was praying for me told me about God and about Jesus. And I knew I needed help. I couldn't control this thing. Even at six, something was wrong. And she prayed with me and asked God to, yeah, I asked Jesus to be Lord of my life and to save me. And he took away the the rage and the anger. So I knew at six, he was real. And uh, then it was, you know, long life. God drew me in uh, after junior high, learning that you could have a personal relationship with the Lord and being in his word and loving it and then growing through youth group and college. And then he, he provided this opportunity to go to China and teach English. And I loved it. I loved, I would have never chosen, I would have never been brave enough, but you know, when you just follow where the next steps are. He is the best companion, <laughs> like you said. It's solid. I uh, so I, I really grew a lot in China, getting to meet believers there and and be challenged in my own um, way of of walking with the Lord, and then seeing how much more it can be—not just individual walk, but then also in community. I learned so much from my brothers and sisters there. Yeah, and I know that one of the big things that we've talked about is just the diversity of the body. Mm-hmm. And when you're overseas and you're in different cultures, the ability to learn from and grow alongside brothers and sisters from different backdrops. Mm-hmm. And so I think very few people, America is very ethnocentric, we're so focused on our own culture. In fact, we see very little unless it's been given to us of social media and the news of the outside world. And when you leave here or leave your area of town, uh, especially leaving the country, you get to learn the the beauty of humanity. And it's such a, a beautiful reminder of how Jesus has broken down this middle wall of separation, the things that have separated us, the, the invisible wall in Fort Wayne that has separated the South and the North and the black and the white here in town, but also around the world when you step into places that are new and foreign, and yet it's like they've been family your whole life before you ever knew them or met them and the joy of getting to see the bigger body of Christ around the world and learn aside alongside one another in fresh ways. You know, even for, for me, going back to your guys' six-year-old life, I was about three and the boogie monster was a big deal for me. There were black shapes roaming around my room at night. And, you know, my mom, my mom prayed that the Lord would use me and take me as a, as a little baby. Like, he's yours, whatever you want. That's, I think, been a hard ride for all of us to figure out what that looks like. And yet at the same time, like, uh, I can remember being scared at night and, and yet confident that at three years old, that the only thing I could say, the only one that I needed was Jesus. And so I would rehearse his name until I woke up the next morning. And at the end of the day, like from all of our journeys to where we'll we'll talk more about the last couple of years, last few years, in a moment, there has been this precious gift of knowing that Jesus, only Jesus, is what we need. I think in some regards, people have taught eternity without Jesus. We're just going to get there. But the beauty of your story of, of, no, like what I learned is it's who I'm going with, who came to get me, and who I'm going to get to be with forever that is the beauty of eternity. And or like, man, I'm I'm angry, 
I have lacked self-control and I get it at six years old, which is crazy. And God, would you rescue me from myself and the, the kindness of our King to, to gently love little children in that way? I mean, all three of us sitting here talking a testimony of, of God chasing us down as little kids. And his, his value in Luke 18, I believe, and throughout the scriptures for children coming to him and not hindering their ability to come to him. And even the testimonies of our parents saying, hey, I'm praying and I'm pursuing you in, in light of Christ's desire for you in your heart. And so what a beautiful story. And then the, the aim of the rest of our lives, mm-hmm. you know, there has been a kingdom-centered life that followed without trying. I, I don't think any of us would sit here and go, yeah, this is my trajectory. I'm going to try to get here. But he's kind of put uh, a story together that we can't take fame in, can't brag about. And so I know, you know, you're in China, you're teaching and serving, and you're continuing to develop in in uh, traveling and going with your friends here and there and taking an adventure, being ornery. And so you guys decide after you get back from Europe that you need to to take another trip. And so, I mean, Europe was monstrous, right? It was the first time of leaving the sewer system. <laughs> You're like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. And moving <laughs> onto the streets of, of all over Europe and you caring for your friends and learning things about each other. And real, you know, briefly t- talk about that time and then the transition into that next season. Yeah, so I, as I mentioned earlier, I um, you know throughout college and after college, I had friends taking care of me, which is how I have learned to prefer doing things. And so all these guys that help out are not like paid caregivers or anything. They're just just guys that want to help out, and they're not certified or trained other than me kind of walking them through the steps as we go. And and so that was going on already, but I think it was when we went to Europe and had this kind of extreme experience where we left my wheelchair home and they not just carried me in a backpack during the day and, and you know, people see the videos of, of us dancing in the streets or climbing up mountains, but then at the end of the day, we got back to the, the hotel or the apartment or wherever and they still had to help me with food or give me a shower or help me with the restroom, put me to bed at night, turn me in the middle of the night. Like it was, it was 24 seven for three weeks of um, really intensive caregiving and adventure, high flying adventure. And, uh, and so I had this extreme experience and I think it really helped to dial in and, and hone this understanding of what we were doing and how it was different from what the world usually sees as having your needs met. And I, I realized that it was all about inviting people into my need. And so it's, again, it was something I had been doing, but I had never had words for it. I think you often talk about real friendship too. Mm-hmm. I mean, inviting people into your needs, but also um, investigating what true friendship looks like. Yeah, And even as you speak, I I hear remnants of a quote that was said to me, a couple of decades ago now, that men go to work and they come home to work. They go from work to work. And everybody in some level now kind of lives that way. Um, men and women and families in different ways. But I think 
one of the parts of your friends that is super beautiful is there was a discipling going on that they'd go from their day of whatever they were doing to home where there'd be more work to be done. Like it wasn't time. Like I, I clocked in and now I'm clocked out. It's a beer on a couch and I'm watching a sports show. Don't, don't, you don't mess with me. Leave me alone. That was kind of the generation before us. Hmm. You know, we went from work and now I've paid our dues or my dues and I'm, I'm watching NASCAR. Sorry guys, if that's what you love. And I'm kind of checking out. And when I retire, I'm really checked out. And so what I hear is that these, these fellas put work in and alongside friendship and fun during the day, but then there was more work to be done at night. And one of the things that I've struggled with in life is, is pouring myself out throughout the day. I still think that most men dream about what they'll do outside in the world, not in their home. And so they have this great dream for influence and what they're going to build and what they're going to leave behind. And they forget that that's, that's very much what happens in the home that begins and ends a legacy. And so uh, I hear also, man, just the beauty of some of these guys were already that way and some of them learned it along the way. And so that's really beautiful too, not just alongside the friendship, but the discipling of what kind of folks will we be when we're done working for the day? Will we still put in the work necessary to love the ones around us? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, we got to experience and we got to show the world this idea of living without uh, limitations of questions of accessibility and, and that kind of stuff. But we also got to experience and put on display uh, what happens when you invite people in and when people say yes and, and uh, what happens when you have vulnerability going both ways. Um, because we got to experience the the depth and um, and beauty and uh, and change that happened in us uh, because of these relationships um, and because we allowed ourselves to to go there um, and so uh, it was hard it wasn't always pretty <laughs> um, but but I think you have to take that with the the good and the fun as well um, and so. Yeah, so that that's um, that was our experience in Europe. And on the way home, we said, well, uh, what's next? Kind of like we said with the sewers. And, uh, and we said, well, something that we experienced in Europe was that it didn't always, we didn't always have to explain what we were doing. People could see us from across the street or on the other end of a train car and um, kind of take in what they saw and you could see a light bulb come on and then they'd smile and go, go about their day. And we had the conversations too, but I, I think those observations that we noticed really prompted us to say, well, what if we go somewhere that the language is going to be a barrier and the culture is going to be a barrier, but we don't need those. We can allow ourselves to be the spectacle and just kind of let the Lord run with it from there. It's really interesting too, man. Like I think here in Fort Wayne with NeighborLink, sometimes we think that we have to know what to say and uh, we have to have information properly. We have to be able to cross all these barriers and boundaries um, with words. And yes, it's beautiful to have words, but I find that like most of the ways in which cultures have been trans, you know, uh, tr tr 
what's that word? Anyway, that we've overcome barriers is just by getting in somebody's yard Mm -hmm. and kind of being a spectacle. Mm -hmm. Like, why is this guy that I don't know in my yard mowing for the 10th time? Or why is this gal, you know, painting the front porch over and over again? I'm asking for nothing, expecting very little, if, if at all, and almost being a spectacle without trying, right? I'm just being a neighbor. You've raised your hand. You've invited me over. And as I've pressed in, so much cultural brokenness has been broken down. And that that's beautiful because I think a lot of times here, our messaging is that we have to say the right thing and we have to have the right voice and we have to say the right words. But oftentimes, like Jesus stopped on the side of a road when he saw somebody in hurt. And it wasn't so much of the words. It's like he touched a man that had a withered hand. He touched a man and, and several folks that had leprosy. He he brought a little boy that had been oppressed for years and brought healing to that that young fella and the disciples didn't know what to do with it. And so I think that there was a school of thought that if I have the right information, that they'll produce the right action. And sometimes the right information just delays the right action. And so just the beauty of that, that philosophy of life is like, we're, we're good being a spectacle, even if we don't know how to say it and we don't understand culture. Some of the best things in my life was that I was stupid enough to go where I didn't belong with some humility and yet boldness. And so I think so many folks are worried about what will I do when I get there? God is so good at training us for what will happen when we do get there. So it's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I I think maybe another way to say it is just showing up um, and and being present and just allowing the Lord to to take it from there. That's when you're going to see things happen. Yeah, we just, yeah. I was just telling you guys earlier that that happened yesterday mm-hmm. here. And um, man, met a, met a guy Wednesday that was tied to a friendship and a brotherhood from 13 years old. So literally 30 years ago, people playing, playing Little League and a friend came to Christ through that experience and we became brothers from that that moment. And now I'm sitting down with a guy who's, been discipled by my friend from 30 years ago. And that's reconnected our friendship after being in different parts of the the country. And yet yesterday he writes and says, hey, can I do something? Is there anything I can do to serve people in Fort Wayne? I have this itch and burden and desire to follow Jesus into the simple life of, of neighboring. And so last night he showed up to a home, to a people he'd never met with his family. And they sat in the living room and shared food and shared stories and prayed over each other. And he just stepped forward, you know, he just showed up. And so what would happen if we minimize the distance between hearing and doing and just started showing up to the very simple things that are in front of us? So that, anyway, not to be preaching all that much, you know, I think that there's this beauty in that you, you had this burden to take it up another level, which led you to China. And there's loads of miracles that even got you to China. But one of the greatest miracles is your guys' provision of, of relationship, friendship first, then, then relationship, then marriage. And so can you guys give a little bit of that? And maybe Katie, you can start kind of where you were at the time and, and what you were praying and looking for, and then you guys can carry on from there. 
Sure. Yeah. I think you're right. The Lord, Lord prepares and he sets you up. So you just have to follow him. And so it was cool after teaching English in China, God provided this like miraculous job for me, an awesome nonprofit orphan care ministry job in America that let me go to China a couple times a year and got to work with a, a care center in China that was for orphans with special needs and very, very special and dear to me. And it was during my time there that I got to know the Chinese nannies at the care centers because I, I could speak Mandarin from before and, and just got to know them and, and love them, these dear women that were taking care of the kiddos. And meanwhile, back here in the States, the nonprofit that I worked with was doing amazing work with post-adoption care and helping equip parents and families for the, the deep hurt and, and trauma that these kids were, were going through and how to do that in an attachment-based, trauma-informed way. And so I'm hearing and learning all of this, and then I'm going to China and I'm seeing it, but we haven't we haven't equipped the nannies with with what we're learning and then these great truths and, and how the brain can change and we can bring healing. And so uh, the nonprofit allowed me to go and to bring that training to the Chinese nannies in Chinese, using the Chinese culture and being able to use real life examples from the care centers there. And so I did 14 weeks of training there and then realized, oh, like neighboring, this isn't something you can phone in. You, presence matters, showing up matters, even though I didn't know exactly how to do it. But um, it was the greatest, one of the greatest honors of my life to get to, to partner with them and then to see it start to work and, and to see the transformations with the kids, with the nannies, even, yeah, it was, it was really beautiful. So I moved back to China and I was there living there. I lived there for two years total for that time, but it was during that time that God the, was working kept, in other yeah. ways. Yeah. Well, and, and part of it too was though that you kind of, you hadn't, I wouldn't say you died to marriage, but you were praying quietly because people said, if you go to China, there's no you're gonna. You're not yeah. gonna get married, yeah. and so God's not quietly, gonna drop somebody off at your front door. And I was like, but I you know. kept you kept quietly praying and pressing in, and all of our cameras are shutting off as we talk. It is the most amazing, weird, war-filled reality. So anyway, continue to go ahead. You you're you're praying and you're you're trying to figure out what to do about maybe possibility of marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was in my late thirties and sometimes it can feel desperate or like, oh no, you have to make decisions based on that desire. But I, I think by then it's, it's again, kind of like eternity. I, I could not live without God. And I, I, he was calling me and giving me this opportunity and I, I had to follow. <laughs> I would be miserable apart from him. And so it was pretty cool because, uh, he he did answer my prayers and actually it was obeying him and following that brought that about in the most beautiful uh epic story you know how the lord can do that so so grateful it was a long wait but it was worth it and he writes the best stories amen i mean i think that we're we're if we just wait around a little bit longer and just trust him like we put all these verses out there trust in him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight and i think that we throw those out there and we say lord that's truth or you'll hear a voice from behind you saying this is the way to go whether it's to the right or to the left and um everybody that's on here right now our cameras are shutting down 
And so what we're going to do is just make this an audio. It'll be great someday to do it in video. But fellow, you know, fellows and ladies out there, we have had some weird technical difficulties. Some my own decision making <laughs> has failed. And some of it is just literally things are turned off. So we're just going to be with you today in audio. But I think that there's this element of really believing who he says he is and finding out along the way that he is everything and more than he more. says he is. And so there's this element in the Psalms where God is not intimidated by our accusations against him. And that is a weird statement because growing up, sometimes it's like, be fearful of God. Yes, I agree. He's great and mighty and he's holy and sovereign, perfect in all of his ways. And yet at the same time, he's close and near and dear and gets our humanity, which is why he became not only 100% God becoming 100% man, but he understands all of our weaknesses yet was tempted and, and didn't fall into sin and there is some crazy reality of how gorgeous the relationship with God and man is throughout the Psalms. And they throw these crazy accusations like, where are you? Why are you letting the wicked do what they're doing? And you seem so silent and far off. And I don't understand all of this. What the, what the are you doing? And they throw out these accusations and it's as if God just says, go ahead, give it to me. Like, I'm your dad. I love you so dearly. I'm big enough and um, loving enough to take to take the hit, which we ultimately see on the cross. Like he loves to take a hit for his kids. And so they throw everything at him, like paint on a wall, and he absorbs it and then reminds them of who he is and what he's done. And it, it's it's like clockwork. Every one of these psalmists then almost always leads them to worship. Their countenance is lifted. Their head is raised. And they they go, oh, that's who you are. And somewhere along the way, we all have a journey where we forget. Israel has forgotten throughout the scripture. New Testament believers forgetting on a regular basis and being reminded. And then us even here, like we're part of the same story struggle with the same stuff of forgetfulness. And so it's really beautiful as you kept pressing in and saying, Lord, this is my desire. I'm going to China. I'm going to continue to do what you've put in front of me. And yet, I don't know how this is all going to work out. Dun, dun, dun. You know, this guy shows up. That was the worst version of that. Let me see if I have a sound effect for it. Just kidding. You guys come into town. You are a spectacle walking down the street. She's there to protect the name of the organization <laughs> and make sure you guys don't do anything crazy or nothing crazy happens to you. Mm -hmm. And, um, and things change. Yeah. Um, I, so while, while we were in, in China, um, part of the agreement was that we would, um, visit the, the care center where Katie was working. And, uh, by then she was living there and, uh, we would stay for a week actually at that facility and um and and spend time with the kids and the staff and everybody <clears throat> and uh like you said katie was put in charge of keeping us out of trouble and um and and what i noticed throughout the week was that um you know she she was caring and and nurturing and and joyous with the the kiddos that she worked with, um, but she was also that way with the nannies and the staff. And then 
Uh, she was also that way with uh, strangers on the street, um, giving hugs and talking and um, making making friends everywhere she went. And um, and I I noticed that um, whoever she was talking to, they were her whole world. And um, and when they uh, were in that conversation and when they left, you could see that they were changed because they felt that. And, um, and they just knew how much they were loved and valued. I think that, that you, th- you thought the th- the same thing about him, correct? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you were watching him going, man, these guys are taking care of him. I haven't seen this mm-hmm. and he's taking care of them. And you were pretty blown away by that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause I think you see the spectacle first, which is awesome. And just such a beautiful picture of, of the love of Christ and laying down your life. But then it, yeah, it took as we, the week went on getting to see, Oh, Kevin laying down his life and his own desires to care for them too. And being like, who is this Kevin? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, um, when we got in the, the van to leave from the care center, I turned to my friend Ben and I, I said, I've never met anyone like Katie. And he was like, really? I said, yeah. And then we thought about it for a second. And because we're boys, we just kind of shrugged and, <laughs> and moved on. But but I, it was because of how I saw how she loved and celebrated people. And, and so we, we stayed in touch from there. Um, we kept texting and there were a few times that we talked on on FaceTime and um and that was we met September of 2018 and um by 2019 by May of 2019 I caught myself um giving myself like a what's the opposite of a pep talk talking myself down I'd be like remember she's in China I'm like why am I saying that to myself um and and we had a mutual friend who uh, Katie worked with, and I um, had gotten to know because of us going to China. And, and so she noticed, she noticed that we were, whenever she would talk to us separately, we would talk about each other a lot. And so uh, I, I, Katie had gotten together with her in May. They had invited her for a conference in the States. And so they had gotten together and, and Kathy had said, Hey, I'm, I'm noticing this about you guys. Would it be all right if I mentioned something to, to Kevin about this? And Katie was like, sure. And then the Lord took it out of her, her mind. And so we could just keep chatting like nothing had happened. Well, I think it's very rare. Um, something that I've always hoped for my kids and still I'm getting to experience with my kids. By the way, everybody, man, there are a lot of times where people will say, man, I love your kids. They're amazing. A lot of that is just grace. I think, you know, there are so many desires that we have for each other, for our kids. And what God often reveals is um, our expectations kill people. And so I just want to verbalize that for your parents out there, people looking for relationships or waiting on somebody to show up. And, um, you know, when you guys hear these stories, to slow down for a minute and man pray and 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 just wait a little bit because i think you know one of the desires i, I believe that god has for for folks is to enter into friendship where you get to find out who somebody really is before 
you even know what you're in. And that's not everywhere all the time. And man, I really am excited for my daughter Eden and her fiance Jeremiah. They're getting married here soon and their their friendship and the relationship has grown and matured and in so many beautiful ways. And at the same time, like this is new to me and I'm a failure at new things. And so I appreciate just verbalizing that they've been super gracious with me as I learn. And at the same time, hearing your guys' story, the beauty of relationship kind of just showing up outside of this friendship and turning into something otherworldly, you know? I mean, even how you guys had your your first date <laughs> is not normal. <laughs> I don't I mean I don't know of anybody, literally zero people on the planet that I know that can have this story, mm-hmm. you know, and it's uniquely wired for you guys. There's this part in Joshua where Joshua's told to put stones in the Jordan River on the other side of the Jordan. So they're memory stones. And most most people would interpret that as memories so that they, they wouldn't return back to slavery. And so in our family, we've tried to put memory stones behind us so that when we want to go back to another way of living or we want to run away from Jesus, that there's memories that we have to roll over and walk over to go back to that very thing. And for us as believers, the very thing that we have to drive over is the body and the blood of Jesus to go back to the world. But for you guys in this story, you have great memories and, and memory stones to roll over and walk over and run back to that are powerful. So you guys keep getting in relationship, your friendship develops, and then... Yeah. Yeah. And, and so this friend kind of brought it to me and said, um, you know, I, I think you should consider asking asking Katie out. And uh, Katie and I had never, neither of us had, had ever really seriously dated anyone um, and so this was all very new for us. And uh, so I took some time to pray about it because um, she was in China and I um, didn't want to take her from the important work that she was doing there. Um, but I really felt like the Lord uh, gave me a, a peace and not just a peace, but a, a calling um, to to pursue Katie. And so I uh, texted her. We were texting a lot at, by that point. And so I um, texted her and said, hey, uh, next time we're in the same country, uh, would, could I take you out to dinner? And she wrote back and said, I would very much like to. And, and it, it'd be one thing if it was China or America, because that makes sense. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. I mean, there, there's some there's some logic. You could return. Sure. She could come <laughs> home. Yeah. But it wasn't China or America. Yeah. Yeah, she, uh, well, I'll let you explain. Yeah, well, since he said next time we're in the same country, I had a visa rent, so I had to uh, go out of the country and kind of reset my visa. It was that time. And so I, I knew Kevin traveled and had just been in like England and Ireland doing a, a TED Talk. And so I, I wrote back to him kind of joking of like, well, I, I have a visa run in Australia in two months. So let me know if you have any speaking events there. We could meet up there. Ha ha. Uh, I'll let you know, you know, when I'll be back in the States kind of thing. And then he called, which one I loved that he called, not just texted, but. 
Well, in my head, I'm like, wait, that means she said yes? You know? <laughs> I, the whole like other country thing, I, that was small potatoes compared to, she said yes, so I can I can get anywhere at this point. We can right? get it done. And it's going to happen. And so we, we've crossed the biggest challenge. It's her saying yes. So, um, uh, so yeah, I called her and said, I, I can... I don't have anything going on in Australia, but I will come to take you on on a date. And so uh, my friend Luke and my dad uh, went with me um, to to help with my caregiving and, and make sure I was I was taken care of while we were there. And uh, and we just Katie and I got to spend a couple of days walking around. Sydney, Australia, 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 Australia. I like it. Australia, um, and uh, fish and chips on the beach, and and exploring bookstores and gardens and stuff like that. How were their fish and chips in comparison to English fish and chips? I'd say they were comparable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, it was really good. We had them more than once, so I don't know wow. what that tells okay, you, but yeah, um, but yeah. So so um, that was our our first date experience and then um that was september of 2019 and september of 2020 actually on the exact same date september 12th uh we got married here in fort wayne so So, crazy so amazing the lord like literally did drop him off on my front door (laughs) yeah again fellas like let's be real let's be real you don't have the game of kev right now (laughs) like if if you can fly to a foreign country and figure that out in 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 split seconds and really not hear that she said i mean you said she said yes you weren't thinking about where it was what it was going to We'll, we like, can get that gotta, done. We can get. Well, and I, I think that's the thing too is like people have a lot of reasons to date someone or or marry someone. But for me, like I I asked her out because, and I ultimately wanted to marry her because I just like she was there and I was here and I just had to be like in her presence. I just wanted to spend time with her, and so. When she said yes, it didn't matter where she said we should meet. I, I was going to make it happen because I wanted to. It had been a year. Like I felt like I was starving for being in her her presence. And yeah, what so a gift! Made it happen. Um, and and she's worth every bit of it and more. So yeah, it's here been, we are. <laughs> it's a gift to be able to sit in in your guys's marriage as as a friend and a brother and experience your love for one another and your courage to press in farther and care for each other. That's been powerful for me. And to be invited into that is an honor in a lot of ways. So like, I know a lot of the stories, but I, I, you know, to the folks listening, I, I get to, um, experience and encounter the reality of the story, the substance of these stories. So like a lot of people have great lines and they say great stuff, but when you hang out with them, like they're kind of, you're like, man, that didn't live up to the expectation. And that's, that's not, not bragging on you guys. That's Jesus through you and in you. And also your willingness to keep pressing further because it's not always easy. It's not always beautiful. People see things uh, through rose colored glasses all the time. And what I love is I, I kind of have seen all the the ins and outs uh, in a lot of ways of your relationship. So, and, and that, you know, just thanks for bringing me along 
And thanks for I'm saying like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I told you that it would be sin for me not to say yes, which is not saying that I, I wouldn't have just as a friend, but, um, the reality is I live around the corner from you and for you to say, Hey man, I have need. Um, would you be willing to jump into that need? And for me to say, no, I feel like is sin. And I feel like the Bible, I don't even feel like I, I, I read the Bible and, you know, to know what to do and not to do it is sin is, is a very clear statement. And so when my brother says, hey, can you help me out? Can you be my brother? I can't do that for everyone, which I think so there's a limiter of capacity, right? But my direct neighbors, um, those that are around me, close to me, same to you guys, uh, there's like an obligation because of the love of Christ and the service of Christ and the care of Christ to give that away. And that's what he says. We'll tell the world that we're his people is when we give that away to each other. And so in some ways, I just feel like I'm giving away what I've been given and enjoying it all at the same time. You know, I don't know how to explain that any other way is that it, there's an, an enjoyment of of sacrifice and it feels like you're just hanging out with the king while you're doing it. So a lot of our time together is getting ready in the morning. Um, you listening to me blabber, I feel like a lot. You throwing ideas at me, me throwing ideas at you, and then us enjoying coffee or a conversation and then a big hug on our way out. I think that's that's probably a synopsis. And then there's emergencies that show up or just little things that show up that we adjust to in each other's lives. And I would say that that's reciprocal. That's not, you know, we, we throw prayers at each other and we throw needs at each other regularly. And so, um, you know, what are some things that you'd love to talk about as a couple when you think about neighboring, when you think about um, pressing into the needs of people and things that maybe you've learned, truths that you've learned along the way that you believe it would be important to share as people try to step forward, to step in, or to show up to the things in front of them? Um, so um, when I was in college, I, I did a lot with uh, prison ministries, which is a whole separate conversation. But um, in that experience, uh, I had a, a mentor that um, I remember him explaining to me, he said, you know, we have a lot of programs and we think that programs are going to gonna fix things. And I'm not talking about churches or nonprofits. It's, it's the, the mentality within all of these entities. Um, uh, and not, not even just churches or nonprofits, but companies or, you know, government related things like we have all these programs that we we drop in to situations to uh, thinking that they'll fix them but he said um when people are involved um so in this case of of prison ministry um people are involved and so programs can only do so much but where the real change comes is presence and time and both of those are huge sacrifices but they also um, are really beautiful. And, and it's where we see Jesus and we see change. Um, and so I, I think when we talk about neighboring and we talk about 
um, saying yes to one another's needs. <clears throat> um, it, it involves time and being present, and, uh, and those are sacrifices, but they, they lead to really beautiful things. And, um, and when we talk about um, stepping into one another's need, uh, something that I think we've been learning over the past couple of years is that inviting someone into my need doesn't mean that they're stepping in by themselves. You're not just coming over to take care of me because my need is an open door into um, something. It's, it's that my need is an open door into deeper relationship that you and I walk through together. Um, so you're not coming to me. We're both coming to this situation. Well, and you've you've learned in that too of how to be hospitable and receive someone that's coming to give you help. And that that's where I don't think people are used to the giving and receiving in our culture. You know, um, I don't think coming, I, I came as a friend. So maybe somebody that just comes from a random spot comes to help someone really thinking about the reception or the receiving end um, of what may happen. I do think sometimes when we neighbor, we have great expectation of people. But this is different. This is brother and sister relationship, brother and brother relationship, where we give and receive from one another. And I'm I'm coming in with expectation that that you're not only going to receive my love and care and concern for you, but at the same time, you have an expectation that I'm going to receive what you give to me. And that's what makes this beautiful dance that tells the world that we're his people, that Jesus came, that the Father loves the world. Those are all of his promises in John 13 and 17. And so when we show this off as a spectacle, I love that word. You don't have to try to be a spectacle. The spectacle is the real love and concern for one another and then giving that away freely to those that maybe will never give back. Because it sticks out. Because it sticks out like a sore thumb. <laughs> yeah. I mean, us being together also does that when we're mowing oh, lawns on the southeast side of Portland. And I'm almost sliding down hills. And I'm thinking, if I do this, we all die today. Yeah, Kevin and in the backpack yes, while you're mowing. Yeah that, yeah, that was a moment where I literally, I don't know if I've ever felt outside of having a baby in my hands that I was like liable for, for our safety together. And my abs are, you know, contorting and my back is trying to figure out distribution. And I'm on a hill that I'm not going to mow because it, it is the end of us. But I think that the, even in that beauty is that mowing turned into a relationship with another woman here in town, which uh, has created other ripple effects of them seeing us enjoy our time together. And it may look different than what they were expecting, but that that literal spectacle opened doors to neighbors who wondered what was going on, you know, and the city needs that. The city is, I think, actually longing for that uh, here in town. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, I think it's easy to, it's easy to say, well, you know, that those situations over there are being taken care of. Like we have, I've, you know, our, our, programs are gonna gonna take care of that but i think it's when the when we go to our neighbor's house or when we um step forward in our church and say what can i do um or we we see what our neighbor needs and we go to our church and say hey come with me i've got something for us to do and um and so much of it is 
uh, you know, you, you guys, uh, NeighborLink does such a great job of this, which is that it's not just repairing a roof or shoveling a snow, but it's then um, remembering that person's name and having a conversation with them and coming back a few days later or a few weeks later and, and sitting with them because they didn't just have a leaky roof, but they're lonely too, you know? And, um, and then it becomes, I've, I've heard, um, from your staff and from volunteers that they, they refer to people as their friends. Um, they're not just clients or, um, or a number. And, and we've actually been on the receiving end of that, of, um, I mean, many uh, times, yeah, <laughs> many times. And, and, uh, where NeighborLink has come and done a project for us and, and then we really needed the help. Yeah. And, and then like months later, um, you know, Jeff will, will send us a text and just, Hey, I'm just thinking, I was driving by your neighborhood and thinking of you guys, how are you doing? You know? Well, it's, it's really crazy that the, the webbing of relationships continues to multiply because mm-hmm. you think initially it's just us, us three. And then my family, it comes alongside and then um and then Jeff comes alongside and then the carpenter sons come alongside and then Brian Mons comes alongside and then Zach, Zach yeah. and then Zach comes alongside and so what what could happen if that's what the ripple effect really looked like because it's not about you or me individually doing the work it's about the the whole people coming alongside the work and you know, I think when you when you talked about programs just a minute ago, programs aren't aren't bad, systems aren't bad, strategies aren't bad. Uh, I do think that we often replace personal relationship with those. Right. And yeah. we've kind of given away relationship through programming to the government or to leadership. The you know, we're looking for the president to do the work or the governor or the mayor or local leadership to do work or the pastor or the priest to do the work for us. But that's really lazy change. And so oftentimes we're waiting for somebody else to make the first move, but Christ has already made the first move into our hearts so that we can press into those things that are around us. And you know, I often tell people that we're building trellises before we're nurturing vines. And so you you don't have a relationship to put a vine, uh, you know, a trellis onto until there's a nurturing of the vine, of the branch, of the fruit that are growing out of them. And so we've kind of reverse engineered this. We build this beautiful, you know, wood structure in the middle of a field and say, look what we've built. We've got the perfect program or system or strategy to navigate the needs of the vine or the people. And then we have no people to take care of because we haven't taken care of them first. And so I, I'm a big proponent you know, proponent of let's take care of the people by learning them and knowing them and being coming friends with them. And then we know what we have to build for them, you know, or at least alongside them. But a lot of us have been building first and knowing never. And that's a scary, that's a scary uh, position to be in. I don't think Jesus ministered that way at any level. And, uh, and so I do think God's trying to reverse engineer some of what we've been doing to, to slow down to get to know people, become friends. I can't tell you how uh, excited it makes me to see uh, my friends becoming more friendly and then becoming friends with one another and that multiplying out. And so that that is a super gift um, that we have. And I think, 
I think people just haven't, we, we're a busy people. And some sometimes uh, busyness is what's killing us, you know. So even to this last night, seeing a man and his family cut out part of their night so that they could sit with a new family they never met and just listen and cry and hear stories. Uh, you know, I know some people are made to work and they just want to rip through things. I'm thankful for you guys. You know, you put me on a job site and you're going to find me somehow finding my way away from a hammer into a conversation. I don't, I'm, I, I can swing a hammer. I can build things. I can fix things. But there is something about uh, the both and. We need people that want to fix and build and repair and people that want to fix, build and repair in relationship. And so, you know, I count some of you guys as my my dearest friends and family and um we've gotten to see a lot together just in a short amount of time. And I feel like our relationship has developed rapidly um, in ways that maybe you don't expect outside of God's grace in a relationship. And I'm looking forward to people in Fort Wayne and around the world knowing more about We Carry Kevin. I think it's more than a book. It's more than a video. It's more than a news uh, story. It's, um, people really filling the hole in society in, in, in specific disease and specific disability with specific answers. And rarely that, that um, gets talked about in proper ways. So there's an elevation of that conversation and a beautifying of that conversation where really it is about friendship. Um, when you talk about the we of the we carry Kevin. And so I'm, I'm really stoked about people getting to know more about who you guys are. I think, Katie, uh, it's wonderful when, when you guys are together because there's even a more beautiful picture of Jesus when you guys serve alongside one another and you share your love for one another with the world. It's a beautiful gift. It's, um, it's more beautiful than either one of you alone. And I think what a gift to behold that and to treasure that alongside you, and then for you guys to give that away. So there's an element of, um, I'm thankful that you're on the board at NeighborLink. I'm thankful that you live in my neighborhood and our, and I live in your neighborhood. And at the same time, I'm really looking forward to how people actually get to know you, not just the stories they've heard and the adventures they've seen, um, but the people behind the mic and behind the story and behind the picture that love each other fervently because Jesus has loved them so well. So thanks for making time. Love you. Thank you. We love you too. Patiently waiting for a knock on the door. Someone please tell me who do we stand for? Overlooking every day and trying too hard because why?